joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Oh, sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Oh, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Oh, come let us adore Oh, come let us
Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we have truly worshiped already in song. Thank you so much, Lord, for the talents and the passions of everyone on this stage who uses their gifts to lead us in music. What an amazing thing that is. And Lord, as we continue on in worship today, for those of us that are here, those of us that are worshiping around the world, I pray first for Pastor John as he leads us that you would give him the words that you want him to say. For our children, our youth ministry, our folks that are in possibilities, for everyone, Lord, who's understanding who you are right now, that you would give them something special today. Lord, this season is a time for a lot of us where it's full of joy and happiness and energy, and yet for some, Lord, it's a time of sadness, stress, overwhelming feeling. Lord, I pray that for those of us who, who deal with that during this time, that you would help us, Lord, to feel your comfort, your presence even more real than before. Lord, thank you so much for Christ Church. Thank you for the privilege that we have of worshiping you openly here in this country. I pray for our brothers and sisters across the world who are worshiping right now as well, that you would help them, Lord, that you would keep them safe. Lord, thank you so much for sending your son who took upon him the form of a child and gave his life up so that we could spend eternity with you. Lord, we're beyond grateful for this amazing gift. For it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Now, before you sit down, we are in the middle of a fantastic series about angels. So as you greet each other, you have a challenge. Think of the names of two angels that you can share. Now, here's the caveat. It can't be your spouse. Two angels. Please greet each other. <laughs> Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff Kimmel. I serve as the executive director here at this church. It's my privilege to welcome you today, whether this is your first time or if you've been coming to Christ Church for a very long time, I want to welcome you today. I especially want to welcome the folks that are worshiping online. Listen to this. Pittsburgh, Delaware, Connecticut, Virginia Beach, North Carolina. We want to extend a special welcome to you today, and we hope that you experience something new and fresh and challenging and comforting in your walk with Christ. So as I said, for those of you that are new, we're so glad that you've been here. There's a couple of things that we want to bring to your attention um, that you can be thinking about as we're going through Christmas season. You know, research has shown that over 50% of adults in Northern Virginia do not consider themselves to be church goers. They just, they don't go to church. However, the same research has shown 82% of them would go if they were invited by someone. So one of the things that we want to encourage you to do, and we've put some uh, little card in your uh, program, there'll be some extra ones as you leave today if you're interested, is invite a friend. There's no better service to invite someone to, in my opinion, than our Christmas Eve services. We have them at 3.30, 5.30, 7.30, 9.30, and 11.00. 
So if you can't find a time to go to church, mm. that's a pretty good wide variety for you to go to. If you come here a lot and this, you consider this your home, I'd like to ask you to think about something. Our 7.30 service especially is a very, very, very full service with visitors. If you are comfortable with it, would you consider worshiping at a different time so we can make room for our visitors? Over 2,000 people come through this church on Christmas Eve. It's an amazing time to introduce them to Christ, to introduce them to what it means to be a Christian. Second thing I want to bring to your attention is during the month of December, we have a Christmas offering. Every year, we have a special offering where 100% of it goes to missions and mission ideas. This year, there are two of them. First is we have a sister church called Rising Hope. It's on the Route 1 corridor, and it provides ministry specifically to people who are homeless, people that are struggling with employment. So they have needs. As you can imagine, year-end is a tough time. So part of our Christmas offering will be to fund their, those needs. And the other is to continue to build our school in Kenya. Pastor John will go into more detail about that. But again, if, you're, if you feel moved and you would like to give an extra gift, there's an offering envelope in the seat back in front of you. Um, we would encourage you to give that thought. Just pray about it. And then finally, as part of our normal routine here, we have something we call Gimme Five. At the end of the service, someone will be standing under the cross today. It'll be my friend, Tom Sturgis. And this is a time where if you've never met someone at the church, if you have questions, if you're not sure what we do, why we do it, whatever the question may be, that's a great chance for you to meet somebody who can hopefully answer your questions. Childcare will be provided, so you don't even have to worry about that. So that being said, Pastor John. Thank you, Jeff. Good morning, Christ Church. Merry Christmas to you. Glad to be with you this morning. I want to invite you to go ahead and find your Christ Church notes. Pull them out of your worship program, if you would. Find a pen or a pencil on the seat back in front of you. You are about to learn more about angels than you've ever thought you could. Uh, more about angels than you ever thought you could know about angels. That's what we're going to be talking about today. You'll need that pen and, uh, and uh, your sermon notes to follow along. You know, today is the third week in Advent, third Sunday in Advent. Uh, there are three candles that have flame on them right now. Uh, as we move toward, we're inching ever, ever closer toward the celebration of the birth of Jesus. One more Sunday next week, and then it's Christmas. You know, Pastor Ryan kicked off a series that we called Angels We Have Heard. Kicked that off last week, and uh, you are going to learn a lot about angels today. So I'm going to ask you this. What is the very first thing that happens to signal the kickoff of the Christmas story? Well, if you think, it, well, it's not the very, seeing the very first Coca-Cola commercial. You know, that may kick off the, the Christmas season, but it doesn't kick off the Christmas story, all right? If you're as old as I am, this is what kicked off the Christmas season, which is Santa sledding in a Norelco razor. Whenever I saw that, I knew Christmas was not far away. But that's not what it is that kicks off the Christmas story either. I'm going to rephrase the question. What is it that happens that kicks off the Christmas story in the Bible? Here's the answer to that. God sends angels. That's right. Write that down. God sends angels. That's what kicks off all of the Christmas story. In fact, the very first angel appeared to a couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. And uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth are the parents of who? Jesus. 
John the Baptist, parents of John the Baptist. Now, I mean, let's be honest for a second and admit this. You know, most of us, probably nobody, but at least most of us don't think of the Christmas story kicking off with John the Baptist and Zachariah and Elizabeth, right? I mean, after all, none of them came in my Christmas, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, yeah, nativity set. None of, my, none of them came in the box uh, in my nativity set. But, you know, the story is true in this, that they kick off the Christmas story. In fact, here's how it goes. Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth were elderly, and they had been wanting children all their lives. They've longed for them, but they were unable to have any kids. And one day, Zechariah was serving in the temple. He was a, he was a priest, and he was serving in the temple. He was, he was in the Holy of Holies. He was in the throne room of God there in the temple. And an angel appeared to him and told him that he and Elizabeth were going to have a child. They were going to name this kid John, and John was going to be the one who prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. And that's the story. And then, just several months later, an angel appeared to Mary in the town of Nazareth and said to Mary that even though she was unmarried and, and, and still a virgin, that she was going to have a child. This child was going to be named Jesus, and he was going to be the long-awaited Messiah. Well, several nights later, Mary tells Joseph the story that an angel of the Lord appeared to her and, and said that she was pregnant and going to have a child. And when Joseph heard that, he, he didn't know what to think. He, he, this story was more than he could handle. And, and he, he left there hurt and angry and disappointed and embarrassed. And he went home and he began thinking about how could he possibly continue in this relationship? And, and so he thought, you know, the, the best thing to do is to call this whole marriage thing off. And then that night, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And, he said, and the angel said this, he said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then on the night that Jesus was born, this angel appeared to a group of shepherds that were attending their flock outside of the city of Bethlehem. And this angel said to the shepherds that don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And then this entire angelic team shows up. And they begin singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, and peace and goodwill to everybody. And that's really the Christmas story right there. That's the Christmas story. And I got to tell you, no matter how you slice up that story, there are a bunch of angels in it. No matter what you do to that story, there's a lot of angelic activity that's going on in the, in the Christmas story. You know, but the but the question that I have for you is, but what do you really know about angels anyway? What do you really know about them? 
You know, we, got, we see all these angels showing up, Elizabeth and Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph, to shepherds. But what do we really know about angels anyway? What do we really know about them? You know, for much of my life, uh, much of what I knew about angels, I learned from that great bastion of theological thinking, that, that great West Coast seminary, Hollywood. And, you know, and... And I recognize that probably for you too, much of everything we know about angels has been shaped and molded and made by TVs and movies, right? I mean, isn't that how we know most about angels anyway? I mean, so what do you think? Like, it's a wonderful life. Do all angels have wings, you know? Or is it true that as the legend says, the curse of the Bambino was broken by angels in the outfield working for the Boston Red Sox. I mean, is that true? I mean, is that how the angelic team actually works? Is that what happens in the angelic realm? Well, maybe I should actually rephrase the question and put it this way. In an age, in a scientific age, in an age of reason, is it even plausible to believe in angels? You know, a lot of people would answer no. They would say no, that it's not plausible to believe in angels in a scientific age, in an age of reason. But yet in our culture, angels are firmly entrenched as reality within our culture. In fact, in the most recent poll that I could find, it was a 2007 scientific poll, said this, that 81% of Americans uh, claim that they absolutely or probably believe in angels. Absolutely or, posit- or, or, or probably believe in angels. And 19% said they absolutely do not or probably do not believe in angels. You know, and so if you're in the minority, well, I even have another, another poll that I found said one in five Americans said that either they have personally seen an angel or somebody that they know has personally seen an angel. Now, if you're in the, at least in the minority in this particular poll, I, I get your skepticism. I mean, I have, I have never seen an angel that I know of, but yet I, I understand the skepticism, but I, but I actually do believe in angels. I believe in angels for a number of reasons. First is that, you know, I did a, I did a quick scripture search this week and found that in our scripture, 356 verses mention angels or angelic activity. 356. I believe in angels because, because millions of people around the world have claimed to see them. That they have, they have experienced some kind of angelic activity. And, and, I, and I think I believe in angels in part because as I, as I consider the the, the the spiritual and cosmic realm of God, angels just seem to make sense in that world. And so I do believe in angels, uh, but I'm still cautious. I should say it this way. I find, I find that 
the, the idea of angels at least is very plausible in my mind. But still, i got to ask the question, what do you really know about angels anyway? You know, back in the medieval times, a long time ago, church scholars, they got together and were studying the scriptures, and they kept coming across these different, what they believed were different classifications of angels. In fact, the early church classified angels and found nine classifications of angels. Now, I have looked through the scriptures myself, and honestly, I cannot find nine. At least I don't find them clearly mentioned in the Bible. I found five different classifications of angels that are clearly mentioned in God's Word. And so I'm going to teach you about what to know. So I'm going to teach you about those five classifications of angels. We've got a lot to do, so I'm going to start right in. First classification of angels, by the way, this is in the highest order. The, uh, the, the uh, medieval church ranked them in hierarchical order. We're starting at the very top. The first one is seraphim. Seraphim. Can we say that together? Seraphim. Now, one of the things I want you to know that this is the plural of the word, and the plural of the word, what? Seraph. So a seraph is a singular uh, one, and seraphim are multiple seraphs. Now, here's the deal about seraphim. Seraphim are only mentioned in one place in the Bible. Only in one place in the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament. It's in the, uh, the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6. And, and the story is that, that Isaiah is in the throne room of God, in the very presence of God. And he says this in Isaiah chapter 6. Check it out. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were, what? Seraphim, there you go. Each with, check this out, each with what? Oh, goodness, okay. With six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another. And they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, what do we know about seraphim? Here's why I believe the early church ranked them as the highest level, is because these angels, these seraphim, were their job was to serve in the presence of God in the very throne room of God. Serving in the very throne room of God, serving God there. And we do know that these particular angels had six what? Wings. How about that? Six wings. These angels had wings had six wings, and they served in the very throne room of God. That's what we know about seraphim. Now, we go to the next in level of classification, the next level down, and that is cherubim. Let's say it, cherubim, all right? We also know that this is the plural word of what? Cherub, that's right, cherubs, cherubs. Now, 
For many of us, when we think of the uh, of cherubs, we think of the you know the little fat chubby children with wings. You know these little baby angels flitting around. You know, inspired by artist Raphael, who painted this particular picture right there. I imagine this not a stranger to anybody to see that particular picture. But I will tell you, biblically, if you think that the cherubs look like that, you're sadly mistaken, because we find cherubs, the first mention is in the book of Genesis chapter 3, right from the beginning Garden of Eden stuff, and so what we find is that uh, in chapter 3, God had had enough with Adam and Eve, and uh, banned them, kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, and then he said, I am placing two cherubs, two cherubs at the entrance of the Garden of Eden, and each of them will have a flaming, what? A flaming sword in order to ensure that no human being can ever come into the garden and eat from the tree of life again. So we have these uh, massive, mighty seraphim standing guard at the entrance to the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword. Now, here's another thing. In the books of uh, uh, Exodus and Leviticus, we find that, that God is describing what he wants his, listen to this, his earthly throne to look like. He's describing what he wants, God wants, his earthly throne to look like. Now, here's the question, people. What is the name of God's earthly throne? Who knows? Well, it starts with the. Here's a hint. Oh, come on, people. Here it is. It's the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, write that in. That is God's earthly throne. The Ark of the Covenant is God's earthly throne. Let's say it together. The Ark of the Covenant is God's earthly throne. I want you to remember that. The Ark of the Covenant is God's earthly throne. Now, you'll remember the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, after all, Harrison Ford spent a lot of time looking for it, searching for it a few years ago. You know, but when God described the, uh, to, to, told Moses what he wanted the Ark of the Covenant to look like, he said this was going to be a box. It was going to be covered in gold and inside it, among other things was what? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now, let me explain very quickly, just lest you think that the, the Ark of the Covenant was simply the storage room for the Ten Commandments. No, 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 no. The Ark of the Covenant was the earthly throne of God. Here's why, let me explain it to you like this, maybe you get an idea of what I'm talking about and why the Ark of the Covenant was so important, not only for God, but for Israel. You see, during that time, every nation that surrounded Israel Every one of them, every nation, every nation, every nation had an earthly king. Every nation had their own king. But Israel didn't have an earthly king. They had a heavenly king. They had the Lord God as their king. And so the people of Israel needed a, a, a physical representation of their king. And so God told Moses to build this ark, this box, on which he would sit, that God would sit. In fact, when 
wherever the people of Israel went, whether they went into battle, God led them. That is, the Ark of the Covenant was carried in first. Wherever they went, when they were wandering through the wilderness, the Ark of the Covenant went in first. In fact, when they, uh, when they crossed into the Promised Land, you know, they crossed the Jordan River, the, God told, uh, God told uh, uh, Joshua, thank you, God told Joshua to tell the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant to get into the river first. Wherever they went, they went first. This was a big deal. The presence of God was with them. And when he described what it was to look like, go ahead and put the picture up. He said, I want two Hey, I want cherubim too uh, on the top of the Ark of the Covenant with the wings out, uh, outstretched toward each other and they were facing each other. And God himself, listen to this. This is why it's the earthly throne of God. God himself was said to be seated right there. That that is the earthly home of God in the Old Testament. The earthly home of God was right there. In fact, who knows what that piece of gold between the uh, wings of the cherubim was called. Anybody know? It was, that's it. Say it louder. The mercy seat. The mercy of God. The presence of the merciful God sat right there. And the cherubim were there to guard the presence of God. Now, I need to go get quickly say this. There are only two kinds of angels that have wings that we find anywhere in God's word. Nowhere else in all of the Bible do angels have wings except for two. And they are the seraphim and cherubim. The seraphim and the cherubim, they have wings. None of the others. In fact, whenever, I'll put it this way. Whenever the scripture uses the word angel or archangel, there's no wings. Only when it says seraphim or cherubim are there wings involved. Okay, so now we are, uh, have looked at the first and the second. Now we're going to go to the third order, the third classification of angels. And that is the angel of the Lord. Write that in. The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. I, I find this whole concept of the angel of the Lord incredibly fascinating. That's because whenever you find, you're reading in the scripture, in the Old Testament particularly, when you're reading in the scripture in the Old Testament and you come across this phrase, an angel of the Lord, church scholars begin to realize that every time this is said, it seems to be that an angel of the Lord seems to be, now listen, God in human form. An angel of the Lord, when it appears in the Old Testament, this phrase seems to be an appearance of God in human form. Uh, let me give you an example about this. I think it's fascinating. Everybody in here, I imagine, is at least somewhat familiar with Moses and the burning bush story, right? Okay, we together here? All right. So, in the, when, when Moses 
When Moses comes up to the burning bush and the, burning, uh, the bush is burning and then someone is speaking to Moses, who is speaking to Moses from the burning bush? God, right? Say God is speaking from Moses, uh, to Moses from the burning bush. And I say, uh-uh, well, mm, not so fast. Check this out. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 2 of Exodus. There, that is, in front of the burning bush, there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, how? In flames of fire from within a bush. Okay, so who appeared to Moses? An angel of the Lord appeared to Moses from the flames of the burning bush. And you said, well, wait a minute. I just thought you told me that God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Interesting, verse 6, check it out. Then, from inside the bush, he said to him, I am God of your father. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at... I thought you just told me the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush. Now you're telling me God appeared to him. What did I tell you? That whenever you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, when it appears to one of our Old Testament heroes, it always seems to be God in human form. God in human form. Fascinating stuff, huh? How about that? Didn't know that either. All right, here we go. And now we get to number four, the fourth classification of angels, and that is archangels, archangels, write that down. Number four is archangels. Now, let me ask this question. How many archangels are there? Okay, if, you're, if you grew up Roman Catholic, you ought to know this, okay? Because Roman Catholics have how many archangels? Come on, a third of you were Roman Catholic. And a full third, maybe 35% of you. How many archangels are there in the Roman Catholic Church? No, not two in the Roman Catholic Church. Not four in the Roman Catholic Church. How many? Seven. Who said seven? There you go, Jennifer, good for you. There are seven. Seven archangels in the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, I was talking uh, just this week to uh, uh, a Roman Catholic. I was asking about this question, and, and uh, uh, she, I said, how many archangels are there? And she said, I don't know. I went to Catholic school, and I was in Catholic Church all the, uh, most of my life. And then I said, seven. And she said, thought, said, oh, that's who those those statues were on my mother's mantle. I used to call them the seven dwarfs. I didn't know that they were the archangels. And they were the archangels on her mama's mantle. All right? And the reason why... But how many, how many do we Protestants have? Now, Karen, two. Yeah, we Protestants have two archangels. And you say, well, why is that? Well, I got to tell you, when, when I was asking my good friend, Father Gould, who was the priest up at, uh, at St. Raymond's uh, a few years ago, he said, well, what should surprise you? We Catholics always have more angels than you do. <laughs> but how do they get those angels? 
Here's the, here's the answer to that. You see, they have, uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, Roman Catholics have uh, a few extra books in their Bible in that space between the, old, the end of the old and the beginning of the new in our scriptures. And they're called intertestamental books. And one of those books lists out seven archangels. And that became a doctrine within the Roman Catholic Church that there are seven archangels. But we don't have those books, so we have two archangels. And who, what are their names? Gabriel and Michael. That's exactly right. Gabriel and Michael. Now, what are the role, what's the role of an archangel? The role of an archangel are to be God's lead angels. They're lead angels. That means that they are, that, that they have specific roles with individuals, either for protection or announcement uh, or something like that. They, it, is a, it is a lead role for angels, either again, either for protection or guidance. Protection or guidance. Uh, Archangels have that role. Matter of fact, it was the archangel Gabriel who announced the birth of Jesus. There you go. So finally, we get to number five. Number five. Now, this is a, uh, this is a, a big theological concept, all right? So just prepare yourself. I call these ordinary angels, all right? So just write that down. These are the ordinary angels, the run-of-the-mill angels, the ordinary angels. Now, as I talk about them, I want you to remember that angels are spiritual beings. They're, you know, like God, God has no physical shape because God is spirit. God is not flesh and bone. Angels are spiritual beings. Therefore, angels are able to take the shape that God wants them to in order to be able to communicate to us. Okay, so I want you to remember that as we move forward. They are able to take the shape of that which God wants them to in order to be able to communicate to us. Now, in the book of Daniel, we're told that there are millions of angels. In the book of Hebrews, we're told that angels are the spiritual servants of God who are sent to help those who receive salvation. Now, sometime way back in the fourth century, long time ago, the church scholars were meeting and they were studying the scripture and they found one particular verse that seemed to suggest that everybody had their own personal angel. And so they classified this, but not in the regular classification. These, these, pre, these angels that I'm talking about now are a part of this ordinary angel group. And they are called what? Guardian angels. Again, this came from the fourth century. But let me explain real quick to say this. I need to say it clearly. There is only one verse, one verse, one verse, just one verse in the Bible that talks about this. And uh, it's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Uh, Jesus was talking to his folks, disciples, and said, Look, be aware that you don't look down on any of these little children, these little ones. For I tell you, now look, here it is. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Now, they looked at that passage and said, now, if Jesus was saying that every child has an angel near the throne of God, 
God must be, it must mean that everybody has their own personal guardian angel. And so what happened from there is that became an official doctrine within the Roman Catholic Church. An official doctrine within the Roman Catholic Church is that everyone has his or her own, his or her own personal guardian angel. Now, uh, just in, in, in light of full confession here, I actually struggle with this a bit. I struggle with this, um, but I know that there are many, many, many stories about, uh, about people speaking of their guardian angels. Now, one of those stories is a very famous one. It was back in the 19th century. There was an Italian priest, and his name was John Bosco. John Bosco. Sometimes he's called Don Bosco, but officially it's Giovanni Bosco or John Bosco, St. John Bosco now. And the story goes like this, that uh, first of all, John Bosco had a, had a, a passionate, uh, non-stoppable uh, desire to help children in poverty. That was his thing. He, his ministry was all about helping children who were in poverty. In fact, there are John Bosco centers all over the United States and around the world, by the way. But anyway, so one night, John Bosco was to attend a meeting regarding helping children in poverty and so forth. And uh, that night, he opened the front door of his house, and there sitting before him on the stoop was this huge gray dog. And as he, you know, tried to say, you know, scoot, you know, get out of the way here so I can go, the dog was snarling at him and, and barking at him. And he tried to go on one side of the dog and the dog moved over and was snarling and growling at him. And on the other side, he could not get out of his house. He was simply trapped in his house by this large gray dog that simply would not move off his front stoop. Well... Later that night, the police show up at his door, at John Bosco's door, and said, Father, are you okay? And he said, well, yeah, why do you ask? And he said, because we have uncovered a plot. There was a gang of people waiting for you at this meeting you were to be at tonight, and they were going to take your life. And he explained that there had been this dog that prevented him from going out. Well, nobody had ever seen that dog before. And according to the story, nobody ever saw that dog again. And so, you know, what do you do with that? Certainly it could be written off as, you know, a coincidence. And, you know, it could very well be. But, you know, I mean, how many of us have heard stories about strangers that just show up at certain time in a certain circumstance to help somebody and then are never seen or heard from again? 
I mean, as a society, people, we are fascinated with this whole concept of angels. I mean, a quick search on Amazon this week, at least on my computer, showed more than 600,000 items on Amazon related to angels, whether they be books or something else. In fact, it ranged everything from, from this right here, the Super Angel Pro stainless steel <laughs> juicer. That says angel right there in case you can't see it. Or pasta roni angel hair pasta. I mean, we got angels everywhere you look. You know, even, I mean, why are, why are we so fascinated with angels? Even, even non-religious people enjoyed watching Touched by an Angel on TV. Why are we so fascinated with them? I, I think it's in large part because, you know, we, we long to believe that there is something more to life. We long to believe that there is another realm, that there is someone who is looking after us. And we long to know that God is involved in our world and somehow, someway, the, the, the spiritual cosmic world of God intersects with our world in some way. I even think non-religious people long to know that there is something more to life and, and that there is someone watching us. I think that's probably the reason why we are so fascinated by angels. You know, angels are, I think, was one of the ways that God, one of the things that God uses to meet our needs. Let me tell you a quick story. It was back in 1976, uh, before my father passed away. My dad was incredibly ill and was in the hospital and one day, I went to see him, and he said, he said, son, he said, there were angels by my bedside last night. I saw them. And, I, you know, I was thinking, you know, yeah, that's good, daddy. You know, but I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. You know, you can, you know, if you're, sick or who knows, you may be hallucinating or, you know, who knows what kind of shot they gave him the night before and you could see all kinds of things. But then, about 30 minutes later, I saw the nurse that had come on that morning and she said to me, she said, John, I saw angels by your father's bed last night. When I got here this morning, there were angels by your father's bed. Now, what do you do with that? I mean, really, what do you do with it? You know, I think if that were an isolated case, I would dismiss it entirely. But there are story after story after story after story after story about things that have happened just like that, just between the last service and this one. I had two people come up to me to tell me stories about how they've experienced angels. You know, I'm going to leave you with this. The night that Jesus... No. The night that Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant, 
Joseph heard that story, and frankly, it was more than he could swallow. That she, that an angel appeared, that she was pregnant, you know, that this child is going to be the long-awaited Messiah, you know, all of that. It was more than he could take, more than he could swallow. And he left her that night brokenhearted, uh, embarrassed, hurt, angry. And he got home that night and he thought this thing through and felt like the, the best thing that could happen is if he just called this wedding off. I mean, he was thinking, how in the world could I trust her when she tells me a story like that? How could I ever trust her again? How, how could I ever believe anything else she ever told me? And so, brokenhearted, Joseph goes to sleep that night. And lo and behold, if an angel doesn't show up to him too, and the story it finishes like this. It's in Matthew chapter 1. He says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she'll give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And you know something, folks? That angel was all that Joseph needed. That was the confirmation that he needed that it was going to be all right. You know, that angel gave Joseph a peace in the midst of a very confusing situation. And then the strength the resolve anyway to, to raise Joseph as his own kid. It was everything that Joseph needed. And so I ask you this as we close. Do angels exist in the world today to do the work of God? Do they? Do angels exist today in our world to do God's work? Well, if I'm going to answer that question, I would answer it like this. Yes, angels exist to do God's work in the world, but, and I want you to hear, I said, but, but God reserves His angels when nothing else will do. I want you to hear me. Do angels exist in God's wor uh, the world to do God's work? Yeah. But God sends his angels to do that work when nothing else will do. And why do I say that? Because let me be clear about this, and I hope that you're clear about this. The primary way that God works in the world today is not through angels, but through you.
You see, you are the one who is called to bring forth the good news. You are the one who's called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You are the one who's called to do his work. You are the one who's called to announce that the Savior is born. You are the one who is called to offer peace and goodwill to all. You are the one who is called to offer hope and help and encouragement. See, that is your calling. Hear it this way. What is your job? To walk in the footsteps of the angels. That is what you are called to do. And I'm going to leave it right there. With, get it? Good. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so very much for helping us understand, at least getting a little bit more of a grasp on this very difficult subject of angels and their role in the world and, and, what, and how you use them to help us when nothing else will do. We pray, Heavenly Father, that, that you would guide us and direct us and lead us as a church that we may understand that our role is to live out the gospel life. We're not to sit around waiting for an angel to do your work. We are called to walk in the footsteps of angels ourselves and to live out the gospel life, to love, to love you, God, to love others, and to live this gospel life out. That is our call. And so we pray right now that you would make us into a church that reaches out in love and concern to the least, the last, the lonely, the lost, across our backyard fence, down the street, across the oceans, and, 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 and spread across other continents. Lord, this is our call. And we thank you, Lord, for this church, its ministry, and its outreach to the world. And we pray, Lord, as we anxiously await the celebration of the birth of your son, we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to invite our ushers to come forward. I say every week that you can't get out give God, and that's absolutely true. As we do our very best to return what God has given to us, we do so with a joyous and generous heart. As we also, I also want to point out to you that our Christmas offering this year, we have a goal of $50,000 to do two things. First is to help our sister church Rising Hope as, as that church uh, continues to reach out to the least, last, lonely, and lost, to the poor along the Route 1 corridor. They have many needs. We need to be a part of that. And number two, to continue to finish building out our second story of our school in Kenya. And I want you to know that there are those that we are continuing to sponsor, uh, and I will be uh, putting out their letters to you this week in my, um, in my community update letter. So God bless you, everybody, as we give with joyful and generous hearts.
your promised Messiah. Angels, let your song begin. Here comes heaven. Christ is born in privilege of watching God at work. And that's what we're about to 
folks, is God at work. We're going to see God pouring out, washing over the hearts and lives of people gathered up here today as, uh, as they have uh, uh, administered the sacrament of baptism. What a privilege it is to see God saying to, to those who cannot speak for themselves, say, I love you before you love me. Before you even know who I am, I love you. And for those who are uh, older and were accepting these vows on their own, we're saying, you know, God, you have grabbed my heart. You have washed me clean. And I am grateful. You know, what I want you to see today is the water comes across either the children or these adults. I want you to remember that you too have been washed clean by the love of God. And so I'm going to ask you now, in front of God, your family, your friends, to, uh, to answer these questions on behalf of the entire church. So on behalf of the church, I ask you, do you repent of all that is evil? Repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil, to uh, resist injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, you will say, I do. And now, do you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ is open to all people of all ages, races, and nations? If so, you'll say, I do. And for those of you who are bringing children for baptism, I ask this question. Will you nurture your children in the church so that by your teaching and example, they may come to accept God's gift of salvation, profess their faith openly, and lead a Christian life? If so, you'll say, I will. Waiting at the cross, 
And all the world holds here Count it all as loss For the sake of knowing you The glory of your name To know the lasting joy Even sharing in your pain And I surrender all to you All to you And I Shake. 
You know, as we have witnessed God washing over all of those who have been baptized, I hope you recognize that he's washed over you too. That he is present for you. And there's never a place that you can go that's outside his love. There is never a place that you can run to that's outside his care for you. And it is this very God who, who washes over us, who offers us life that never ends. And we are truly grateful. God bless all of you. I look forward to walking in faith with each one of you who have experienced the sacrament of baptism today. This is a church that lives out the gospel life. So live it out. Let your baptism show. God bless you, everybody. If you want, we're going to join prayer right here in about 30 seconds if you'd like to join us. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Christ Church Online, it was great worshiping with you today. Pastor Tony back with you. You know, I was just thinking during the message that we were talking about angels and how there's a spiritual world that intersects with the world that we live and breathe in. And God is all around us. And so I just wonder how often in our lives we're missing what God's doing right in the background. And, and, and I'm curious, how many of us have had an encounter with one of God's angels? You know, have you seen one? Have you heard one? Have you felt that tap on your shoulder? These are some of the questions just to consider this week. And I want to encourage you that worship doesn't end on Sunday, that, that we can grow as a community of faith together throughout the week online. Just click the, the notes tab under the chat to get some of the next steps that you'll need. And we're about to join together as a church family with the Fairfax Station campus to do some breakthrough prayer, to ask God to do something incredible and amazing in this time of our history. And so without any further delay, I just want to wish you a blessed weekend. Love God, love others, and live out the gospel life. Okay, we're going to go to prayer here.